Football is back, and right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day, and with Bet365's Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hiya, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast, an EFL podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell, with me today, George Ellick. It's going to be something of a breathless podcast with a full slate of championship action in midweek and some news stories to touch on as well. Just a reminder that these podcasts are available for free on all pod platforms, but also ad-free if you're a subscriber of The Athletic. So if you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, if you fancy giving it a go today and getting all of the podcasts ad-free, theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod will sort you right out a 30-day free trial before you choose whether to take your subscription forward from there. Good morning, George Ellick. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. A, a breathless pod, I think, for a breathless week. I feel like I'm either sleeping, watching football or talking about football non-stop every day and I wouldn't have it any other way. So, all good. Talking about football also, and this is less entertaining and more difficult, but also very important, talking and having to learn about various uh, goings on off the field and in boardrooms. That's where we're starting today, George, the big news of the week off the pitch. Yes, we learnt yesterday, seemingly pretty out of the blue, that Wigan Athletic have entered administration. They have been hit with a points deduction and we are lucky enough to be able to call upon a fantastic reporter from The Athletic, Adam Crafton, who covered the Hull City story last week. He'll be covering the Wigan Athletic story this week as well. And we spoke to him to try and unpack exactly what is going on at Wigan. Adam, you've had a busy couple of weeks, it's fair to say. You were covering the Hull story that we spoke about uh, on the Going Up, Going Down podcast last week. And then yesterday, the news seemingly out of nowhere that Wigan have entered administration and you are preparing a piece at the moment for the site. So, I mean, were you as blindsided by all of us as the uh, when the announcement came yesterday? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think even people, at, you know, most people who work for Wigan Athletic were blindsided by what happened yesterday. Certainly the playing staff was stunned. The manager was stunned. Everyone found out yesterday morning, which was uh, Wednesday morning. It's taken everyone by surprise because Wigan, you know, for so long under the Whelan ownership and then when Dave Whelan then sold to the IEC investment firm from the Far East, they're actually quite well run for the first 12 to 18 months. And then there was a takeover around four to six weeks ago. And then within a month, they've been put into administration. So it stunned everybody. Adam, it seems... So crazy from an outside perspective that there can be such a a blindsided aspect to this, even for people within the club. Would you be able to explain a little bit about 
the change of ownership and the ownership structure, which might go some way to explaining how a playing staff and a manager could have no idea about problems behind the scenes. Yeah, of course. So um, the IEC investment firm was the company that bought Wigan Athletic off the Whelan family in late 2018. They then ran the club through basically through British-based board members, such as Jonathan Jackson, the chief executive. I think the executive chairman is um, Darren Royal, who is the son of Joe Royal, the former Everton and Manchester City manager. So pretty respected figures. You know, Jonathan Jackson's been at the club a hell of a long time, highly respected figure in the local area. And it's, I think it's even taken those guys by surprise as well, what's happened. So IEC then sold to a businessman based in Hong Kong called Wai Kai Ouyang on June the 24th. He was then registered as being as having more than 75% of the club's holding company. Before that, I think he'd been a minority shareholder. Without getting too bogged down into the entire Hong Kong business turf wars and structures, I think what's happened is Wai Kai Ouyang has become the majority shareholder and that has, be- that has been the trigger for what has happened with regards to the administration. There's also different things which are being said about loans between IEC and the businessman that's taken over the club and as to whether there may be more to look into in that regard. Just reading up on this story over the last kind of day or so, it seems there are a few red flags that come up, Mm -hmm. such as Dr. Stanley Choi was the majority shareholder of both companies until very recently, as you mentioned, the location of the companies, I think one is in the Cayman Islands. I mean, when you're reading it, even as someone like myself who has no real understanding of, of kind of business necessarily, it doesn't really feel like this is much about football. And there seems to be a few things that, yeah, that don't look too promising. No, for sure. And I think, you know, I think one of the interesting things is over the past 24 hours, I think there's been a rush to suggest that this Wigan Athletic may be one of the victims of the coronavirus pandemic from a from an economic point of view and I simply don't think that's the case here you know Wigan Athletic until the last few weeks had been considered to be one of the clubs that had been run quite well and I think you know when people are criticizing the the football league in terms of actually approving this latest takeover but I think what's actually happened is they've put a huge amount of trust into that owner Stanley Choi and, and IEC based on their record over the past 18 months or so in that they bought the they bought Wigan from the Whelan family that all went through pretty perfectly in terms of proof of funds everything was paid on time there's never been any you know I've spoken to a number of players agents over the past few days there's never been a suggestion of the club being in trouble there's never been a suggestion of payments coming in late in terms of salaries so I think probably at the height of the pandemic when this takeover happened the EFL probably just put a lot of trust into the, into this ownership group and as it has backfired spectacularly it's funny when we talk about this uh, and you're right to say that it came out the blue because there was no suggestion previously that the club was in trouble in the in the in footballing terms how we would understand that and yet this is a club like so many others in the championship that spends uh, well back in 2018-19 the results uh, financial results said 168 percent of its turnover on wages as losing between eight and ten million pounds a year so you know it's always worth pointing out that what it comes down to a lot of the time is an owner or an ownership group simply footing the bill for the losses and And I believe I'm right in saying from what the administrator said that the funds have stopped, that they haven't been receiving the funds that they that they simply need just to keep the club running. 
Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to the administrator, Gerald Krasner, last night, and he was involved previously in administration processes at both Leeds United and Bournemouth. And he, that's essentially, you're you're right in that there's huge bills that come with running a a club in the championship and the money's now stopped coming in from the owner and he's decided to put them into administration. Now, of course, nobody has an obligation to carry on putting in millions and millions. But what what I would say is, you know, you look at that Wigan squad, there's enough saleable assets in that squad to make you think, well, if I was running that club, well, it's probably worth putting in the 800 grand or a million to get us through to the end of the season. And then, okay, go and sell Anthony Robinson for £8 million. Go and sell Kiefer Moore for £4 million. The, the club, didn't, from the outside, did not appear to need to go into administration. It seems an extraordinary step that jeopardises the club's short-term future in terms of its position in the championship. They may still be okay. I mean, they dropped from 50 points down to 38 if there's a 12-point deduction, which I think still leaves them with three or four points to recover to get out of the race with six games to go. But it just seems a hugely hasty step when the club, you know, the club also owns um, a stadium, two training grounds, some land next to the stadium. There's, there's so many assets that could have been sold before taking this step if, if the situation was truly so grave. It's probably not our role here to speculate as to why the decision has been made if it seems so... Mm-hmm you know, unnecessary to put the club in administration. I think we all think of that as being kind of the last step you take in order to save a club. Uh, But what you're saying about the assets that the club has in terms of playing staff, training ground, stadium, Mm. should Wigan fans listening to this be therefore a little bit more optimistic than maybe they would have been when the news broke? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's not famous last words, but I my instinct is that Wigan Athletic will find a buyer. The problem is when you have administrators come in, they tend to just go with the bid that makes them the most money. Um, and that doesn't necessarily correlate to the best long-term owners for Wigan Athletic. And the last thing you want is that sort of Bolton-Ken Anderson situation where you know you just you get the wrong people in because you're desperate at that moment in time. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of businessmen out there who think that it's very, very, it's a lot of fun to run a football club and they'll make a load of money. And that just is not the case in the championship. I know Dave Whelan went on TalkSport on, on Wednesday to talk about, you know, how hurt he is and devastated the family are by this development because they genuinely thought they'd sold to good owners. And the evidence of the first 12 months was that, was that they had done. He said that he'll help out in some way. I don't think he's going to be riding to the rescue. The conversations I've had over the past 24 hours with people close to the family, there isn't a suggestion they're going to go in and buy the club. I think they might be prepared to help find the right investors, people who would be the right you know, the right people to take the club forward, both in the short term and long term. But, you know, a football club can't just always depend on one person to, to, to bail it out. And Adam, there's a lot of people who have just, who have spoken to the administrators. There's a lot of people mm. who have spoken to people within the club. I haven't yet seen or heard anything necessarily official from the owner himself or the person at least running the the holding company the majority shareholder is he has he gone missing do we know much about him where can we find him will we have an explanation forthcoming when i spoke to the administrator last night you know i asked directly have you spoken to the owner and he said only through lawyers i then said you know why is that the case why have you not spoken to the guy who owns the club if you're trying to sell the club 
and Gerald Klesner wasn't prepared to expand on that. Um, he's carrying out an investigation, which will go to the insolvency service. And I think, you know, I think on top of that, from the conversations I've had, the the impression is that, you know, even people like the chief executive were surprised by the developments that have happened over the past week. The communication between Hong Kong and Wigan itself as a place does not appear to have been strong at all. There's a lot of people both within the club and who care a lot about the club who are at the moment in much the same position in terms of trying to get to the bottom of what is happening to this football club. Now, obviously, we hope there's a a happy long-term solution for Wigan Athletic, but in the short term, I mean, since the turn of the year, January the 1st, no championship club has picked up more points than Wigan. They've kept seven clean sheets in a row, pushed their way out of relegation. But what comes with administration is a points deduction. So could you just explain? Because it's not as simple as just a straight up 12 point deduction, is it? Well, I mean, it might be. We'll, we'll see in the in the coming weeks. I think the usual rules are that points deductions can't be applied after the 40th games being played. However, the EFL seemed to be from their statement on Wednesday, seem to be pushing down that road. So if that happens, then then the points will drop by 12 and we're going to back in a relegation fight. I mean, it's devastating for Paul Cook, who had done so well. Around January, there was something like seven points adrift from safety and they'd completely turned it round. Seven clean sheets in a row, six wins, one draw. Fantastic run of form. It's going to be very interesting to see how him uh, and his players respond to this. I mean, another pivotal moment is that Friday this week is going to be payday at Wigan. I also believe that the deferred payments, because Wigan deferred wages, like many clubs across the country, across Europe, um, during the pandemic, deferred payments are also owed to players and staff on Friday. We don't know yet how or in what form that will be paid to the players. Um, The administrators even refusing to guarantee that all fixtures will be fulfilled. So they're saying that, you know, they're optimistic and they're doing their best. So, you know, this is very serious, both in the short term and long term. But like I said, you know, to go back to should Wigan fans be optimistic, you know, my instinct is still Wigan will both complete fixtures and find a buyer. But it's just whether that buyer is the right person to take the club forwards. I think there's also an argument which Wigan fans may make about, you know, if the EFL approve these guys to take over the club four to six weeks ago, how can they then punish the club when these guys turn out to be the wrong people to be running a championship football club and dock and dock points? So there's there's a huge way to go with this. But you know, like I said at the start, I think it's very important that this isn't just dismissed as oh no, it's plucky Wigan that have fallen victim to a pandemic. It's not it's not as straightforward as that. There's a lot more to come, I think, as people look into it in the coming weeks. Well, thank you for hopping on the pod and explaining it all to us. Make sure if you're listening and you want to be bang up to date with this story, Adam's piece promised over the next few days with uh, with with plenty more information, of course, will be on the Athletic site, uh, which if you're not a subscriber of, you can get yourself a 30-day free trial. If you head to theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod, E-F-L-P-O-D, you can get that 30-day free trial and try before you buy. Check out everything on site before moving forward with an annual subscription. So we would implore you to do that. Theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod. That was Adam Crafton. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors, just like me and you, George. 
Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Fair to say, George Ellick, we are both converts to the to the gospel of Harry's, both having picked up our trial sets. And I can only speak for myself, but I am as smooth as I've ever been. Uh, what about what what have your experiences been so far with Harry's? Well, now I don't have to shave very often. Uh, it's fair to say, but when I do, I'm very happy that I have my Harry's razor. I will not be going back to the aforementioned overpriced razors. Uh, it's a very clean, very easy process, and I, I now look forward to my weekly or maybe fortnightly shave. How about yourself? Yeah, they actually had a couple of tips involved uh, with the with the instructions, uh, which I've taken on board, and uh, it's actually it's changed it's changed my shaving life. I must say. So I'm, I mean, you I'm thrilled amazing. with it. <laughs> I've had the trial set and I'll be delving deep into into a, a, a longer term subscription. They've signed me on a long term contract now. As a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. Next up, we're moving to On Pitch Matters, a brief roundup of the championship midweek action, major results and what it means because things are moving very quickly. And as everyone should know by now, there is everything to play for, both in terms of automatic promotion, in the playoff picture, and even more so down at the bottom at the moment in the championship. George, I, I want to start at the top of the championship. I'll actually start with a game you watched on Wednesday night. West Bromwich Albion beating Sheffield Wednesday. Must have been a, a huge weight off their shoulders with Brentford having won and gone two points behind them on Tuesday night. You, you watched this game. They've got that five-point gap now, a 3-0 win. How did the match play out? Feels like a big win because of the way it played out where Sheffield Wednesday were the dominant side in this game until Charlie Austin opened the scoring with a penalty. Uh, I couldn't see how West Brom would be the first team to score. It was a barrage of attacks. Um, I think there were something like nine corners in the first half of Sheffield Wednesday. They were the team in the ascendancy. And I sent yourself a text saying, you know, West Brom can't really get a kick here. And if you think about the season and how it was set up where a defeat here for West Brom would have put them so close to the chasing pack, to weather that storm and then run out comfortable. I mean, the second half, it was so easy. Comfortable 3-0 winners with Talisman and best player Matthias Pereira getting on the score sheet twice in the second half. Any concerns that West Brom fans would have had after half an hour of the game yesterday have been forgotten. Any worries that they may have had that the form after the, the break in football, uh, the lack of goals have been forgotten as well. So it wasn't a vintage performance from Slaven Bilic's side. Uh, but I don't think that really matters now because, as you say, they've got that five-point gap now. They're going to forget about all of those, that poor performance to start with. And it's that word again. It feels like the momentum might be back with West Brom. It, it, it was irony of sorts or footballing irony, I think, rather than general irony, that the penalty was given away clumsily by Moses Odebajo, a former fan favourite at Brentford, and he was not doing them any favours there. That five-point gap is between second and third. Leeds 
took top spot on the weekend and they maintained it, albeit only drawing at home with Luton. Probably no point going into in-depth insight here because I feel like we've discussed this sort of game for Leeds United at, at least 10, possibly upwards of 15 times this season. Quite frankly, a game that they should have won, a game in which they dominated the ball and not just that, but created more than enough to score more than one goal. 23 shots, 16 of which were inside the box. Not all falling on Patrick Bamford, the blame this week. The chances missed were shared around. Helder Costa having one very good chance as well. But on the other side of it, and there's always another side of it, they conceded from just one of three Luton shots, two of which came part of the same passage of play following a corner in the first half. So basically one opportunity for Luton in the first half, not taken, but then a wonderful goal on the counter-attack. Harry Cornick, whose stock is really rising as a pacey, mobile forward player. And the finish was absolutely sublime, posting it into the top corner from the left side of the box and shocking leads into a response. They'd been poor up until the 50th minute, up until that goal. But it did kick them into gear, in fairness. They really got going and more or less battered Nathan Jones's Luton. They, they did score a good goal from Stuart Dallas, a nice assist from Alioski. But as mentioned, they did miss at least two big chances. And how many times have we said that this season it's worth pointing out that instead of just saying, well, it's the same old story and things will come good, the performance levels, certainly before they went behind, were concerning. And post-COVID, the three games have seen really varied levels of performance from this lead side who had gone into uh, the lockdown in such good form. I think ultimately you do have to say a lot of credit to Luton. It's the second time in four days that they've produced a magnificent defensive display away from home. Uh, and they leave with, with a point that you would say that they deserve based on that. But for Leeds, still six points between them and third. That's the big gap. That's the important gap. Uh, and in their six games remaining, they've not got it easy. It, it might look on paper like they've got three teams down at the bottom to play. But as we know, relegation-threatened teams at the moment are playing like Brazil 1970. So they've got three of them to play and three playoff chases as well. Uh, they're in a very good position, Leeds, but they are not making it easy for their fans, it's fair to say. That, that team in third place, George, who looked like the most likely team to catch, well, either West Brom or Leeds, is, is Brentford. They're looming large. And uh, would it be fair to say, do you think that the post-COVID, they've hit the top gear uh, and potentially that's not being matched by some of the teams around them? Yeah, they've won all three games after coronavirus and two of those were against sides around them in Fulham and West Brom and they're yet to concede a goal. The win in midweek was as easy as you like really against Reading and this is where the championship at the moment is interesting because you mentioned the teams at the bottom are picking up points. The teams at the top are picking up points as well. Leeds, the only side, I think, in the top seven not to win uh, in midweek. So it's the teams kind of in mid-table with nothing to play for, who've known they've had nothing to play for for the last three months, who've become almost the whipping boys of the division. You've got Birmingham, uh, Reading, QPR, these sides who have very little to play for, even Bristol City now, and struggling to really put much of a performance together. And it felt like both Brentford and Fulham benefited from playing against those sides. So it's going to be something to look out for in the future. The easy games in this league aren't against the sides in the relegation zone. It's against those sides between about 10th to 10th to 17th who don't really seem to be that up for the challenge whatsoever. But for Fulham, it was a little bit more laboured, wasn't it, than uh, than for, for Brentford away <laughs> at Reading? It was. This was a Fulham win against QPR where they cannot 
try and care too much about the performance because genuinely the three points was the most important thing as much as that is something of a cliche and good timing to play two of the the mid-table teams that you've just been uh, so rude about QPR in midweek who they beat 2-1 and they've got Birmingham at home this weekend as well Birmingham having lost 3-0 at home to Huddersfield on on Wednesday night Uh, as I've said it was far from convincing for Fulham they they didn't really create any particularly good chances or clear cut chances but a long range shot from Harry Arter in the first half got them level having gone behind very early on uh, and another excellent strike from range from Cyrus Christie got them the win it, it, this wasn't one for Scott Parker to come out afterwards shaking his fist and, and sort of giving it to the haters because he has copped a lot of flack over the last few weeks this was not the time to do that because it, it was not an impressive performance as a whole and game one of three without Mitrovic you know, we wondered whether with a with a more mobile striker up top, possibly less of a penalty box threat, but but more of a uh, someone to link play. Whether they might play a little better as a team, but frankly, Bobby Reed was 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 no, he, you know, he he didn't necessarily provide much more in that regard, and and he he wasn't much of a goal threat either. So still work for Fulham to do, but seven points between themselves and seventh place. That win was crucial. One more win this weekend at Birmingham. And I do think they can start planning towards the playoffs. And they've got plenty of work to do because let's be clear, they've not been playing very well recently. uh, And the fans are certainly recognising that. They've actually been overtaken uh, in the last week by Nottingham Forest. So Forest are now in fourth. They got a big win in midweek as well. Another tight affair. One with a moment of brilliance from Thiago Silva, a, a summer signing that we were so excited about, who hasn't necessarily provided the quality that we were hoping for this season but it was an excellent free kick to get three points for Forrest it it seemed a good time to talk to Paul Taylor the Forest writer for The Athletic not only about that result about Sabri Lamucci and him celebrating one year in charge of Forrest but also a massive game on the horizon this week for Forrest thanks for joining us Paul no, no problem guys now it's been a remarkable return for the championship as a as a whole. I mean, down at the bottom, we're going to get into it in a bit. It is <laughs> remarkable what's going on down there. Some teams have come back in wildly different form to where they left uh, and playing differently to pre-COVID. But Forrest, with three tight games so far, winning two and drawing one, it, it kind of feels yeah. like more of the same for Lamucci's team. More consistency, more solidity. They could have had three wins had they not conceded a very late goal at Sheffield Wednesday in a game that they, they probably should have won. And, and then it would have been even more interesting to see where they were. It might actually have made it just a tiny bit more interesting in, at, at the very top. But but for now, they they very much come back and look, look as though they're going to pick up where they left off and, and establish their position in the playoff places. You know, if they can... If they can win this weekend against Derby, then that'll put a nice a nice little gap between them and the team in seventh. I think that was always the aim, realistically, rather than aiming for the top two, which always felt a little way off. But if they could just, if they could secure that playoff place sooner rather than later, then then happy days. They'll be they'll be very happy. You had a piece that went out this morning called "It's Money Time for Sabri Lamucci." <laughs> Forest need to keep ice in their veins, yes. and he seems like a very cool customer, Mister Lamucci. And certainly, it does feel like we're getting towards that crunch time he's talking about. From your from your dealings with him, how mm. good a manager is he going to be for this situation? Firstly, the six games coming up from now till the end of the season, and then most likely the playoff campaign afterwards. He, he's a very calm, very analytical but also very human character. He, he, he interacts with his players 
every single day. He's, he's very much a hands-on kind of character. We had uh, Stuart Pearce a few years ago at Forest, who was a very good coach, but perhaps wasn't quite the character you thought he might have been, given his, you know, his, his psycho traits when he was a player. He, he never really brought that. He, he kind of used to stand and watch training from afar, never really got very close to his players. Lamucci's exactly the opposite. He He's forged this really close bond with his players. He, he, he spends time with them every day. He explains what his team selection is about. If a player's left out, he'll tell them why and what his planning is and, and just say, hey, look, you're not going to play this game, but you might be uh, playing in the next game, which is what I want to keep you fresh for. He's all about communication. He's all about togetherness. And to refer back to another former Forest manager, Billy Davis, who created this sense of unity through adversity and conflict and, and tried to create this them-against-the-world kind of attitude. Lamucci's created that unity and togetherness, but in a very more uh, positive way. There's, there's none of that there. There's no, uh, no them-against-us kind of attitude. It's, it's just it somehow galvanised the squad and got them together. And I think the performance against Bristol City probably epitomised that uh, sense of unity and togetherness more than more than anything. As George mentioned, your piece this morning is based on a phrase that Lamucci used. It's money time. So what mm. does that mean in Lamucci's world? Well, like the rest of us, he spent much of his time in lockdown watching The Last Dance, the, the documentary on Netflix about uh, the, the, the Bulls and uh, Michael Jordan and Pippin and, and Rodman and all the rest of them who had that remarkable six or seven year spell where they, they, they won it three times in a row twice. And I think he, he wants to galvanise that same kind of spirit in, in, in his forest side. But it, it goes back to the point you were making, I think, about what kind of character is and how calm and composed he is. And in his eyes, the money time is that moment towards the end of the game, towards the end of the season where you've got the chance to win it. it it's kind of down to your character, down to your uh, self-belief uh, to, to get over the line, to, to get the job done in money time. And, and, and Forrest did it last night. Can they do it in the last six games? I, I hope so. It, it certainly feels like they're better equipped to to do it now than they have been in a in a very long time. That that team that got into the playoffs twice, two years in a row under Billy Davis was very very young. This time there's a a bit more experience, a bit more know-how, and a bit more a bit more character with players like Michael Dawson and Ben Watson and even Lewis Graben. He's 32. He's been around. Uh, Joe Lolly's 27. You know, the, the, there's there's senior players there who all have a key role to play. Uh, in a very physical sense in what they bring to the table as footballers, but also as, as human beings and characters and sort of guiding the rest of the squad through. And I feel as confident as I have done in a long time that, that this could be a really good chance for Forrest to, to finally end two decades outside of the, the Premier League. I say good chance. I'm not taking anything for granted. I think it's going to be <laughs> playoffs are difficult, but I think this is their best opportunity yet to do it. Well, I think we're going to find out a lot about this team in the next couple of weeks because, you know, very good victories at home to Huddersfield and Bristol City, but two teams woefully out of form when coming up against Forest. Mm. Next up on Saturday, it could scarcely be bigger. It's mm. El Clofico, as you called it, before we, just before we uh, <laughs> turned on the mics. It is Derby away. And this Derby county side are rampant. You know, they mm. have uh, put together a run of victories with Wayne Rooney sitting at the base of midfield. And no team has mm. picked up more points than Derby since the turn of the year. So coming into this one, the stakes could hardly be, be higher. And I've seen a few Forest fans on online who wouldn't be best pleased if Derby crashed the top six party as well. No, no, exactly. And I think Forest will be hoping that the... The status quo is maintained where this match is concerned. So I think it's four or even five games since Derby even scored a goal in this fixture. Uh, so if, if Forrest can maintain that 
they'll they'll certainly be very confident of getting three points given their own scoring form and the fact that people like Lewis Graben uh, are doing so well lately. I mean, it'd be the perfect moment for him to go and get his 20th goal of the season and become uh, the first player to do that since David Johnson and Marlon Hayward both did it uh, in, in the same side for Forrest many years ago. I mean, uh, I think Forrest are perhaps more confident than, than they have been in this fixture for a long time. I mean, they've won both the previous clashes uh, this season. They won 1-0 at home in, in the league and 3-0 in the EFL Cup. So uh, they'll, they'll want to go to Derby and, and, and carry on their own recent form. But yep, you're absolutely right. This is a fixture that will have a few Forest fans looking on nervously because Derby, quite ominously, are, are building some form. And uh, as I said to you before we started, uh, you don't want to see any team deducted points for off-the-field stuff. But now would be quite a nice time for... For that to happen to Derby, <laughs> if you want me to put my forest hat on for a minute. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> That's going to give me some pelters, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it might well do. It might well do. But thank you very much, Paul, uh, for joining us. Your um, coverage of Forest and the season so far has been absolutely superb to follow uh, over at The Athletic. And I'm looking forward to reading whatever report, whatever the result <laughs> may be, whatever will come from that game on Saturday and for the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. So just to take a look at the playoff picture, more specifically what's happened in this round of midweek fixtures in the championship. And actually, it's a pretty disappointing scene. It's it's one of those bunch of results that begs the question, who wants it? Who wants sixth spot? Because Cardiff, having burst their way into sixth spot, have drawn nil-nil with Charlton this week. And it was a really cagey, a bit of a nothing game uh, and, and not much in it, to be honest. It, it wasn't a case of Cardiff dominating Charlton, who are down towards the bottom of the table, that there really wasn't much to shout about. Swansea and Millwall played each other. They're both just outside the playoff picture and they drew 1-1, which is one of those you feel like Probably not ideal, actually, for either side, but also not disastrous. Preston lost to Derby County. Preston's form really concerning. They've dropped out of the playoff places and need a reaction. And Blackburn and Bristol City have now had a pretty poor return to football as well, which begs the question, who wants it? Could it be Derby County, George? At the risk of banging on about them, it was a hell of a performance in midweek to get yet another win for Philip Koku's side. Yeah, it was another game that I watched and it's impossible not to be really impressed by this Derby side. They are so well balanced. And I think at the beginning of the season, a lot of fans criticised Philippe Koku for this willingness to play this continental style of playing out from the back. But they have stuck to it. And, you know, Preston are a team who employ a high press and always have done, especially at home. And there were times during the game yesterday where Derby were able to control the game in Preston's half. And we don't see many teams doing that, even when they were 1-0 up as well. And what else can we say about Wayne Rooney's influence at the club? Uh, He's been so good playing in that quarterback role, dropping in 
alongside um, the centre-backs at times in order just to keep the ball moving with bundles of energy around him. Dwayne Holmes yesterday coming off the right will always be full of running. Max Bird alongside Rooney, uh, Louis Sibley in front of him, Jason Knight on the wing. All this young talent, Jaden Bogle at right back. I mean, there were four teenagers in the starting lineup yesterday alongside the 34-year-old Rooney and he produced the moment of magic that won the game with a free kick sending the keeper uh, Declan Rudd the wrong way it was almost like a penalty the way he did it gave him the eyes and then just whipped it across into the left-hand corner uh, Rooney has been fantastic they deserved the win yesterday but they just have that little bit of defensive solidity as well Matt Clark really impressive at centre-back yet again bringing the ball out of defence but also very solid defensively so no surprises from me they've won their last I think five games in a row and if any team is going to break through, as Paul mentioned, it's a massive Derby game on Saturday. And I'm pretty sure Derby fans will be dreaming of beating their rivals to put them ever closer to that top six. Absolutely obscene that Brighton and Hove Albion have Ben White and Matt Clark returning <laughs> to them this summer. Ready-made Premier League centre-backs based on what we've seen this season. Yet Derby just one point behind Cardiff now, which is a, an unbelievable position to be in. And then you look at their fixtures. And they are about as hard as they could be, starting with Forest this weekend, then away to West Brom, home to Brentford, away to Cardiff, home to Leeds. That is the top three they've got to play. In fact, the top four with Forest and sixth plays Cardiff as well before finishing at Birmingham. So if they're going to punch their way in, I mean, it's going to be even more impressive than the current run of, of, of victories against lesser teams, shall we say. Uh, the hardest teams to play at the moment, George, in the bottom three. It's one of those quirks of statistics that I just can't ignore, I'm afraid. Um, there are three teams every week who start the weekend or the midweek in the bottom three spots. And in the three game weeks we've had since the championship returned, those teams have played nine games, they've won six, they've drawn three, and they've lost none at all. Remember, these are theoretically the three worst teams in the league. They've scored 12 goals and only conceded two. Now, this has been propped up by Barnsley, who came back from the COVID lockdown bottom of the league, have since kept three clean sheets and won two of those games as well. Gerhard Struber's reputation grows and grows based on the job that he's done. And the defensive solidity is the most notable part of it. He brought in a player called Michael Solbauer in January, who came from Wolfsburger, the team that he managed previously in Austria. Uh, an experienced centre-half who probably went, who went against the grain a little bit in terms of how Barnsley have approached recruitment uh, in the last few years. And the way in which Solbauer has transformed this defence has calmed down some of the young defenders around him and basically now oversees this really really good defensive unit is absolutely amazing and and it's you know he was captain of Wolfsburger who who were playing in the Europa League and playing well under Struber so to move from a, a Europa League side where you're captain to, to fighting for survival in the second tier something of a risk personally for him as well but he's getting rave reviews from the Barnsley fans as is Nathan Jones now Luton fans some of them not necessarily keen to see his return or certainly raising their eyebrows given the way that he left them for Stoke in the midst of a League One promotion campaign. But everything that's happened on pitch so far can only serve to to really back up the board's decision to let bygones be bygones and get him in because uh, we spoke about that Leeds game earlier. Don't get me wrong, they rode their luck at times. Leeds, if they were more clinical, could have won three or four one. But... 
There's a belief, there's a defensive structure that wasn't there previously under Graham Jones. Uh, and Nathan Jones deserves credit. And then the third team has changed each week in this weird statistical quirk. First, it was Charlton. They won the first game back 1-0, left the relegation zone. Then it was Middlesbrough, first game under Warnock, 2-0 winners. They punched their way out the zone. Uh, and last night, Huddersfield went to Birmingham and won 3-0. And they're now, as we record, up in 19th. So beware any team playing against someone in the bottom three in the championship at the moment. It'd be amazing to see how long this run continues. We're going to be across it, that's for sure. Uh, and we can't talk about this relegation battle in a, in a completed way, sadly, because as the way the fixtures have fallen, we're just before uh, kickoff in Middlesbrough against Hull this evening, Thursday night. So it, it's unclear exactly whether Hull, who are now 22nd and in the relegation zone, will, uh, will buck that trend or continue it. But certainly from a Borough perspective, the second game in charge for Neil Warnock. And uh, we've been lucky this morning to have a, a decent deep dive on him on the athletic site. Yeah, absolutely. If you're still feeling starved of Neil Warnock content, there can never be too much, can there? Then Nick Miller and Richard Sutcliffe have a piece. Managing a football club is like looking after 25 kids. That isn't the only nugget from Warnock in the piece. He's just such an entertaining guy. It's great in the championship. And as you say, a really positive first result against Stoke and an opportunity this afternoon. We don't know what's going to happen, but an opportunity this afternoon to end that quirk that Ali was talking about. So make sure you get over to The Athletic. Now you can get a 30-day free trial at theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod and you can read Nick and Richard's piece about Warnock there. Some unbelievable quotes, as you can imagine. And interestingly, not all from Neil Warnock, but actually his assistant Kevin Blackwell coming up with the goods. Uh, I don't want to give them away, but there's one quote about about essentially what Neil Warnock saved him from by uh, by giving him a call and saying we're off to Middlesbrough. Uh, but also uh, an, an interesting quote on more on the footballing side. Last week we asked the question, "What does Warnock do when he enters a club with six games to go and needs to save them from relegation?" Kevin Blackwell gives some good insight into how they approach things in week one. And we'll, we'll, we will wait and see how match two and match three go. And no doubt we'll be discussing them again next week on this podcast. Yeah, plenty of good EFL content on The Athletic today because we mentioned a couple of good pieces, Paul's piece, that Warnock piece as well. But friend of the pod, previous podder with us, Matt Slater, has written a fantastic piece about Sol Campbell um, saying, bad manager, Sol Campbell improved both Southend and Macclesfield. And he makes a good point, doesn't he? He does. He does. I mean, I think of Matt as the go-to investigative reporter, which I always find a very difficult phrase to say, as you can probably tell. Um, you know, he, the way that he can delve into football finance and law and other things it just makes him stand out to me. But in this instance, as a Southend fan that lives in Macclesfield and goes to a lot of Macclesfield games and a lot of Southend games, and I can't imagine there are many journalists out there who tick those boxes, no one is better placed to judge Sol Campbell's merits or otherwise as a manager. And boy, do they get discussed with so much ignorance, uh, certainly on social media, which is probably not the place to look for uh, a lack of, of ignorance. But the way that Matt delves into detail both on Sol Campbell's time at Macclesfield 
at Southend. It's certainly worth your time. Theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod. A final reminder that if you haven't subscribed, today's a good day to do it. So much good stuff on site. You'll get a 30-day free trial if you head to theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod. That's it from us. It's been a busy midweek in the championship. Hopefully, we have broken down goings on on the field, but also off it as well at Wigan Athletic with Adam Crafton. We're grateful to him and Paul Taylor for joining us. Full slate of fixtures this weekend as well. Full slate of fixtures next midweek when we next talk to you next Thursday or Friday. So much will have happened. So please do join us. Make sure you're subscribed. And thanks very much for listening. <laughs>